Praise the Lord. Well, Sister Joy, you might want to hold on to that last song and the first song. I want to say a few things about both of those. Though all these songs were precious here today. I have been debating all weekend whether I wanted to say anything. I was so excited to have all of you here. I was really just wanting to hear you. But I feel like I would not be doing a justice to what God's done in my life if I didn't give you a little, I can't even hardly say that, <clears throat> praise His holy name. If I didn't give you at least a reiteration of my testimony in part. I gave some of it here last July, I guess it was. We had a fellowship meeting here and I told you some of the things that had happened. But after listening to these songs, I feel like I would be doing an injustice to God not to tell you what He's brought me through and Part why folks wanted to have a dinner. We usually have something around our birthday times, and my wife has conveniently ducked out of those through the years. She slowly moved it to where they can just, ladies, go out to eat somewhere. She doesn't like the attention or being in the spotlight. But I told the folks, I don't mind if we have something for my birthday or not, but this year is a special year for us. In October of 2000, and what, what year would it be, wherever my wife's at around here? 21. This last couple of years has disappeared as far as I'm concerned. In October of 2021, right in the middle of everything going on with COVID, I had been, most people didn't know it because of COVID. We hadn't had as many services. I'd been feeling extremely miserable for almost two straight years at that point. I didn't know what was wrong with me. It was really hard to get doctor's appointments, so it took a long time before they'd get you another appointment because of COVID. And they just kept trying different prescriptions. I wish they would have just done a deep scan to begin with, and maybe it would have been different. But they just kept trying different prescriptions, and nothing worked, nothing helped with the problems I was having. I was real weak in my body and just not feeling good overall. And then finally, in October of 2021, they did a scan, and that's when they first found the cancer. And they found that it had started in my colon and had spread to my liver and had pretty much taken over about three quarters of my liver. And when the doctors, I've, I'm not going to go through all of this, it's kind of an overview, but I feel like it needs to be said because of what God's done. When the doctors told me about it, I was blessed. I just got to see this doctor again here just a few weeks ago to take out the final piece of machinery they had plugged into me. I had a port up in my shoulder that they didn't want to take out because they thought if the cancer comes back, we don't want you to go through that surgery all over again. So we'll just leave it in there. But the port started, I'll go back in time to the story in a moment, but the port started kinking up in there and they couldn't get the blood to flow and they would use that to draw blood. And the last time it felt like someone had attached a tire pump to my chest and was pumping. It was horrifying. And so they immediately rushed in there and said, we're going to have to get the surgeon and see what's going on. And they looked and they said, there's a kink in there. They said, we could go ahead and open you up and we could replace that line that's kinked up or we could just take it out. It'll be up to the oncologist. And I was praying, Lord, please let him just take it out. I don't have anything stuck in me anymore. And the oncologist, I said, do you think we've been far enough that we might be okay taking it out? She goes, I think we can take it out. This has been beyond a miracle. What has happened? And I'll come back and explain that a little bit for those that haven't heard it. But going back in time, I just got to see this surgeon, the very surgeon that found out I had the cancer is the one that took this out just a few weeks ago. So I got to see him again. I hadn't seen him in a little while. Every one of those surgeons are some of the nicest people you'd ever meet. Some of the most skilled surgeons, which usually goes along with a little bit of arrogance, more skill you have at something. People tend to be more arrogant in relation to the level of their skill, unless you've been beat up enough to realize that my skill doesn't overcome <laughs> all the other issues. 
But every one of them were humble and kind. And when that first surgeon told me about the cancer that was present in my body before they even did anything about it, he said, normally I would just schedule you to go over and have a meeting with the oncologist. He goes, but would it be okay? And I thought, what a tender thing to do. He said, would it be okay if I walked over with you to the oncology department and introduced you to the people over there? I was kind of in shock at the time. I said, be okay with me. He walked us over there. He had his arm around me. He's kind of about my size and build, kind of a husky guy. And I thought, here's this guy. Had his arm around me the whole time, just took me over there, introduced me to the oncologist, and she was, again, just like the other doctors and nurses we've had throughout this, one of the kindest, humblest, spirited people you'd ever meet. But she was very grim in her diagnosis. She said that this has been growing in your body for these last couple of years. Well, I wish we could have found it earlier. She didn't even want to tell me how long I had. She just was like, there isn't any coming back from this. She said, there's no surgery. She said, we have some of the very best oncologists in the whole United States in this area, which is kind of strange because after we got the diagnosis, Sister Stevenson, they were still down in Cincinnati at the time, had to raise money to send me to Texas to MD Anderson because she said, that's the best oncologist And they are right now the best oncologists for cancer there are. You know what ended up happening? I walked into that infusion center there at Mansfield Hospital. Mansfield's just a city of 50-some thousand. It's not a real big city. Right on the wall, as soon as you walked in the door, it said MD Anderson Cancer Center. And it had a sign where it said cancer, or it was a red line that marked out the word cancer. I said, Lord, let it be so. But I sent her a message right away. Her and Brother Stevenson said, I'm sitting at MD Anderson right now, a couple miles from home. And I had asked my surgeon, the first surgeon, I said, do you think I should maybe meet with an oncologist at Cleveland Clinic or somewhere that is considered you know, a world-class type of facility? And he said, for some things, that might be the case. He said, but strangely enough, for cancer treatment, we have one of the best set of cancer treatment doctors anywhere in this part of the country in Mansfield, Ohio. He said, you couldn't really be in a better place. I said, isn't that amazing? But the oncologist told me when I finally asked her, She said, the best that we can do with the most aggressive chemotherapy we have and potentially other treatments, the very best we can do is hold this in check for a little bit longer. If we do nothing, your lifespan is going to be extremely short because your liver is almost completely gone. And when it's gone, you'll be leaving this world pretty quickly. And for somebody that never drank alcohol or anything else, what a strange thing that liver cancer is what affected me. She told me that and I said, I need you to give me a time period. She said, if a miracle happens in this chemotherapy can hold it, you have about one year and six months, and that would be a dream amount of time to live with the severity of this. If everything we do works as good as it could possibly work, one year and six months passed last month. This is one year and seven months since that diagnosis. And I'm stronger right now than I've been in three or four years. And other than the fact that when I sit, I was telling several of you, when I sit for a long time, like on a long trip, I'm stiff and sore. But when you understand what all was done, that takes some time, the internal healing, a little more than the external. But she said, when she gave me the diagnosis, she said, I don't really know why I'm even telling you this because there is not even one-tenth of one percent chance that we could ever do surgery on cancer this widespread. She said, but we have one of the best liver cancer surgeons at Riverside in Columbus, she said, and he has just decided he wants to come up to Mansfield once a month to see our patients. She said, he is probably one of the best liver cancer surgeons in the entire world. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. I wondered if it was the Lord. But she said, now, I don't know why I'm even telling you this, because it doesn't matter how good he is. Nobody could get all this cancer out without killing you. And she said, it would take a miracle for him to even get some of it out. Well, they started me on the chemotherapy in November of that year in 2021. And after about a month of chemotherapy, 
some of the symptoms that I've been having for the last couple of years started to fade. And I told my oncologist, I said, this is really strange. I said, I've had all these cramping sensations in my sides and stuff and was constantly feeling a twinge of pain and no doubt because that whole area was full of cancer. I didn't know it. I said, this pain and some of the things are just starting to fade. I said, I don't know if the chemo does that. She goes, there's no chemo, no matter how powerful, that in one month would have any effect that you'd notice. I said, all right. So I just patiently waited. Another month of chemo. I said, you know what? I'm not having any of the symptoms I had. For two years, I had all kinds of symptoms where I'd, my stomach would cramp up so bad I'd have to lay down for a long time to make it go away. I said, I'm not having any symptoms. She said, that's just not possible. Chemo cannot work that quickly or affect what you're dealing with at that level. She said, well, we need to do a scan and see why that might be. Maybe there's something else wrong with you, which of course she's... <laughs> there's always been something else wrong with me. I can tell you that for sure. It's usually not here. It's up here somewhere, but... She said, we're going to do a full scan. They did multiple MRIs. They did all kinds of crazy scans that I'd rather not describe. But after all the scans and tests that they did, she came back and she had this scan. She was showing me on this thing and she had them printed out. She said, I'm not really understanding this. She goes, but your cancer has shrunk 30% in the last month or two. She goes, that's not even possible for the chemo to have that kind of effect on cancer spread this far. She said, there's still no possibility without a massive amount of it shrinking for you to have any kind of surgery. So I don't want to get your hopes up, but it could extend your life a few more months than I was giving you before. So I just wanted you to know that. She said, I'm getting ready to go to a big, uh, what's, conference. <laughs> Thank you. It's my vocabulary I can't think of. I'm getting ready to go to a big conference. And she said, the doctor that I told you about in Columbus is going to be there. She goes, would you mind if I showed him these scans? She goes, because I don't believe it's happened. I said, please. Little did I know when she came back that I was the centerpiece of the conference of all these cancer doctors. They were all wanting to see my scans. This isn't possible. Chemotherapy doesn't work like this. The scale of how dead the liver was, it could not be regenerating like this and the shrinking under this chemotherapy. All these doctors from around the United States, she told me, they're all looking at your scans. It was like the most interesting thing in the whole conference. They just wanted to talk about your scans. I thought, I don't know what that means or what that might mean for my future. But she said, because of that, I was talking to this doctor, his name's Dr. Salibi, that's in Columbus. She said, Dr. Salibi was there an hour away, mind you, in Riverside. She says, he looked at it, and every one of those doctors said, it's astonishing, but there's no chance, there's no surgery could ever fix this problem. It's too big. Dr. Salibi said, you know what? Let's see what happens with another month or two of chemotherapy. If it goes down just a tiny bit more, I believe it'll be high-risk surgery. He goes, but I believe I might be able to get it all out with some very cutting-edge surgery where they literally put needles in and burn it up, and they cut part of it out and did all kinds of things. And she came back, and it's the most hopeful I've seen her. She said, it's high-risk surgery, but every doctor from around the United States there said, there's no hope, there's no hope. And Dr. Salibi just said, let me give it a try. Let me see what I can do. The one doctor is the closest to us of all doctors. So another month passed, and the cancer went down about 7 or 8% more. And then it just held there. It didn't shrink anymore. It just held. And Dr. Salibi looked at the scans, and I met with both of them, and he said, it stopped exactly where it would need to be for me to have any chance of removing this cancer. So I went down for a very intensive, and that's why I still am sore. It's still over a year ago, but still across my midsection. If I stay in one position for too long, if I'm moving around, I'm fine. But if I sit still in the car or something for many hours, it's real still sore because they, forgive me for being this direct, but they cut out a chunk of my liver, about a third of my liver. They just removed, and the rest of it, they shot with all kinds of little needles where they just burned it out with microwaves and other things. And they said, it is so scarred after this that we have no idea if we got all the cancer out or not. We won't know for a little while. And they said, you may not know for a long time. And of course, that's not what you want to hear. 
The very next day, he came in just beaming, and he said, we had another scan, and some of the swelling went down. He goes, I cannot see cancer anywhere in your liver. He goes, I got it all. I'm convinced I got it all. And every scan since then, there's been no cancer. It's shown in my liver. And the original place where the cancer started, which was just a little amount of cancer the size of a marble, they cut that out a little bit later in the summer. And since then, they've done scans every couple of months, and there has been absolutely no sign of cancer whatsoever. All of my numbers are good and other things. I'm just slowly getting back to normal in terms of my strength and constitution. But if not for the Lord, if not for the Lord. I said something about these first two songs, and I'm going to say something about them and try to get out of the way here. Leave a lot of room for any of you who'd like to share something here today. But what was the first song again, Brother Chapel? I thank you, Lord, for all your blessings. I think most of you know this, but in the midst of this going on at its peak when it was at its very worst, and there was a lot of very dire news going on, you all were having a meeting in Green. I, of course, was not well enough to be in that meeting, but my family was there. A number of the folks from the church here in Mansfield were there. That morning, this is just my personality, I spend my mornings almost always in the Word of God. If I don't, I don't feel right the rest of the day. So I got up in the morning and was studying and reading the Bible, and I planned to look at the live stream of the meeting when it started, but I, and this happens to me all the time. I got so lost in what I was studying, I didn't realize the church service had already started and I'm still going. So before I turned on the live stream, I turned over to shut my Bible. And when I put my hand on my Bible, the Spirit of God just rushed over me. And I started to hear the words of this song, I thank you, Lord. Now, when you're in the situation I was in, you're not usually thinking of thanking the Lord. I didn't have any good diagnosis at that time, but that song just came rushing over me. I thank you, Lord. And every time I sang this phrase, you have to have gone through this kind of a situation of suffering in some area of your life for this phrase to have this layer to it. But we can sing over for all your blessings. And to us, it might mean all the good things you've let me have in my life. Those are certainly all blessings. And certainly we ought to thank God for every good thing he's ever given us, shouldn't we? But when I sang that song, when I heard it in my mind, that all changed. The Lord said, are you thankful for what I'm letting you go through right now? It was like he said that to me. Are you thankful for this suffering you're going through? And it struck me, if this will get me closer to you, I am. If this will change in me what needs to be changed, I'm thankful for it. And as I was hearing those words and that breaking was occurring in my heart, the Spirit of God just fell on me. And I sat there speaking in tongues, listening to the words of this song going over and over and lost track of time entirely. And then my wife beeped me and she said, are you watching the live stream with an exclamation point? She said, Brother Moore asked some of the folks from Mansfield to come down because he wanted them to be prayed for in your stead. And she said, the Spirit of God just moved in. I asked her, I said, what time was that going on? And she gave me the time. It was the very moment that song started to play and the Spirit of God fell on me. You want to know we have a real God? I didn't know what was happening in green right then. And I didn't know anyone was praying for me right then. It was right at that moment. And God changed something in my heart through that process so that I would be thankful not just for all his blessings that are positive things, but for all the things he does in your life that are intended to make you what you ought to be, make you what he intends you to be. We ought to be thankful for all of them. They're not all pleasant. Some of them are pretty bitter. There's the bitter and there's the sweet, but those things together will produce something that otherwise could never be produced. There is a beauty produced through the bitter and sweet things. Brother John Fowler, I'm so glad to see you here, John, wherever you're at. Oh, where'd he go? Back in the back. All right. I shouldn't be able to miss John. He's a little taller than I am. But Brother John Fowler taught a beautiful series of Bible studies on bitterness and sweetness in the Bible, the bitter things and the sweet. One of the best studies I've ever heard on those subjects. When you combine together the bitter and sweet things that God intends you to go through, there's some bitter things God doesn't intend you to go through. They're bitter because they're supposed to get you to reject them. You go through some bitter place, he's trying to get you to say, I don't want that. Some bitter things we go through are for our betterment. 
And some of the bitterness I was going through at that time was for my betterment. What you don't know, I don't think, I don't know why you chose the songs you did, nor do I know why Brother Coase opened this service with the 25th Psalm, but I leaned over to Brother Ferris and I said, I was in the Psalms, like many people are when they're suffering, more than I was anywhere in my Bible during this last year. And the one Psalm that I kept coming back to, I could not get away from it, was the 25th Psalm. And the first few verses of that psalm, still to this day, every single night before I go to sleep, I was, this is one of my little quirks, but I cannot sleep if I'm not reading the Bible before I go to sleep. I have to read something. I have to memorize some scriptures. I got to do something. But every single night before I go to sleep, I always quote this. It always is in my mind before I fall off to sleep. The very first words of that 25th psalm when he says, unto thee, O Lord, this is what I was praying all through last year. Do I lift up my soul? Oh my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. I'm sure the psalmist had some specific enemies in mind. They were probably other people because in that day, plenty of those. I wasn't thinking of that. Every time I thought to myself, these enemies. I was thinking of the enemy of cancer. Lord, don't let that triumph over me if it's your will. But more important to me was not the enemy of cancer. It's the enemy that's myself. I was thinking, Lord, if this cancer takes my life, don't let the other enemy triumph over me. Let me overcome anything in myself that would be displeasing to you. Let me get as close as I can to you. The enemy I was worried about triumphing over me more than any other enemy was the enemy within. Because if you can hold that enemy in check and eventually overcome that enemy, what any external enemies are going to be overcome, including the worst enemy we have. And by the way, I have no intention of even getting into the subject of the devil when I say that. There's a worse enemy than any devil. Death is a worst enemy. Because none of us can do anything about death. We can war with this enemy that's within us, but we can't overcome death. It takes God to overcome death. But if we end up where we need to be in terms of our battle with this enemy within, death is certain to be overcome. Death will be overcome by our relationship with the Lord regardless. If you're in a relationship with the Lord, you're going to have death overcome in the sense that you'll have a resurrection. But if you want death eternally overcome, this enemy of God has to be dealt with. So I was praying to God. I said, Lord, if you're not going to heal this cancer, and that wasn't my, oddly enough, I've told all of you this a few times, that wasn't my highest priority, though I surely did not want to die at that time around 50 or 51 years of age. But if you're not going to take this away, Lord, will you take away the things in me through this? If I've got to suffer, will you let it be for my benefit? If I'm going through a fiery trial or eventually fire baptism, will you let that be for my benefit? So I was looking at some of those things that way, and I was praying that prayer throughout. So I thought that was tremendously significant. I don't know if I told one of you and you remembered I told you I was praying that prayer, but what an interesting way to start this service here today, which in some ways, I don't want it to be about this subject, but for me, sitting here today and getting ready to celebrate a birthday in a couple of days is a miracle. For me, I expected I'd be gone before this birthday, but I'm stronger now, as I said, than I've been throughout this whole process. I feel better now than I felt before I even started having problems in my body two years before I even knew I had cancer. And I'm thanking the Lord for all his blessings. See, because they're all valuable, including the bitter blessings, if we allow them to shape and form us, we don't become bent and twisted in our spirit by the bitter things. Bitter things can bend and twist your spirit. You can get a bad attitude about them. You can be hurt over them. I was determined I wasn't going to be hurt by what God might be allowing me to go through, that I was going to be all right, if that is a complex enough word, for what God was allowing me to suffer, to say, Lord, if this is your will, then it's got to be for my good. We've got to look at everything that God does in that way. So I'm thankful for all his blessings, thankful for all the things he's done. Then this last song, what was the last song? Raising my hands to you. Raising my hands to you. Overwhelmed with gratitude. 
That was almost an identical twin with the first song, if you think it through. It's saying the very same thing. I'm grateful for each one. I am grateful because some of the things that God did in my life in this last year and a half when death was hanging over me couldn't have been done through any other process. There are some processes that we don't appreciate that when the process is done, when God is finished, what he will add to your life or subtract from your life couldn't have been done any other way. So I'm thanking God. So I just stood up here to give my expressions of gratitude to the Lord and to you, and that isn't even close to all the experiences I had in this process that I went through, but I'm thanking the Lord for it. I even thank the Lord for what I think most of our folks that have heard me tell the story think is the funniest part of the process. After the worst surgery I had, they did quite a few incisions across my midsection. It was extremely painful. I couldn't even move over in bed, even under all the painkillers I was on after the surgery. I couldn't even roll over it. But after that surgery, I apparently, blessed be the name of the Lord, didn't know it, but I apparently woke up as they were wheeling me out of the surgery in the fight or flight or survival, whatever instinct you want to put on the front, or my bad spirit, (laughs) that certainly was part of it, kicked in and blessed be the name of the Lord, I don't remember even one second of this. I guess they said there were six big brawny orderlies, all bigger than me, who I was tossing around the room like they were children. They said, I hit them. They'd go straight flat on their back on the ground. And then I'd stop. I had ripped out my IVs and everything. I'd stop and I'd say, oh, I am so sorry. (laughs) And then they said, I turned to the next guy and knocked him down. And then I told him I was sorry. (laughs) Dr. Salibi came in after that. He told my wife, he came out there. He said, I've never seen anything like it. Your husband went from, I guess it's Bruce Banner to the Incredible Hulk. He said he woke up and he's throwing these guys a lot bigger than him all over the room. People are bashing into walls and little did I know, a few times they came and saw me in the night, the doctors, and there was a group of them. They didn't even turn on the lights. They stayed away from the bed. They were looking. <laughs> he told me later, he goes, that was those guys. He goes, they didn't want to get too close to you. They didn't know what you're going to do. But I was thanking the Lord just for the sake of humor, but I'm thanking the Lord even in that because I'd be horrified if I thought I'd knock down a bunch of guys, and especially after they just helped me get rid of this condition that was in my body. But you know what I'm thanking the Lord for? Lack of memory. Because I don't remember a bit of it. I would have thought it was a lie. You know, she came, she said, you don't know what you did to all those doctors. I'm surprised they're even treating you nice. (laughs) Thankfully, they were all men. Blessed be the name of the Lord and knock any ladies down. Thankfully, they were all bigger than me, so they could take it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But <laughs> so, God is good in all his myriad different ways, isn't he? All right, I'll tell you what, this would be a good place so we can get it out of the way so nobody has to worry about it later. Maybe we can receive our Sunday afternoon offering right here. Thank you again for being here. Thank you for your prayers. Probably the most thanks that I've given to anybody was the thanks I gave to the children at the Children's Church in Green. I still have all those handwritten and crayon-drawn cards that I got from the kids, both here and in Green as well. And I so appreciate them. I appreciate your prayers. Your prayers have brought me through this. They brought me through it not just physically, which is important, but more important than that, your prayers have brought me through this in a place that I feel is stronger than I've ever been in my relationship with the Lord. I have a greater faith in the Lord, not because He healed me, not because he healed me. I had a greater faith in the Lord in the middle of it when I didn't see any hope of healing. That's a strange thing. The process of salvation and the different stages, Brother Ferris and I were talking about this a little bit. It's a strange process. Some of it doesn't make sense why you'd have to do that or go through that. It's a strange thing. And it doesn't make sense the way you feel in some of it. Some of the things that the Lord's taken me through, you think you'd lose your faith. But before cancer ever was removed from my body, I already had hit a peak in my faith that it didn't matter what God did to me at that point. I wasn't going to lose faith in him. My love for him was so strong at that point, you think it'd be less, right? Because you're suffering. 
And even the process was brutal, the surgeries and procedures. I had to be through a dozen different things I went through last year. And they were all horrible things. None of them were pleasant. None of them were things you thought, oh, I didn't even know they did anything to me. Oh, you knew they did something to you. And yet every time that I go through something more, something changed in me, made me love him a little more. Because I knew in my heart whatever I was going through was for my good, as I said. And all that we go through, we need to remember that. So all right, it looks like our brethren back there are ready. We'll go ahead and change the direction of the service for just a few minutes and receive our regular Sunday afternoon offering. And then we'll go see what the Lord might have for us from that point on. Triumph over 